Mother's Day, Mom. You beautiful ladies here in the parking lot and watching live on live stream. Happy, happy Mother's Day to you. I want to give a shout out, but instead we're going to give a honk out. Let's hear the horns for Mom. <laughs> Ladies, we know that this day, Mother's Day, can be a joyous day, but we also know that it can be a challenging day for some of us moms. So as a church, we want to be sensitive to all women. Uh, Jeannie and I are really excited to be here this morning and just share from our hearts and encourage you ladies. And we wanted to acknowledge the many roles and the hardships that we all face as moms, the physical life of being a mom, but we also want to recognize the spiritual life uh, that God calls forth as moms. So, Jeannie, we want to acknowledge that there's all different kinds of moms, different types of moms, right? Yeah, I was thinking about the fact that it's almost like Baskin and Robbins. There are like 31 flavors of Oh, I of love moms. ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, here are a few of them that we uh, talked about. Yeah, how about mothers of small children? Right? And then they're mothers of teens and adult children. Then there's single moms. And moms who have lost a child. There's moms who want to be moms. And there's grandmothers who are playing the role of mom. There's mothers of adopted children. And then there's women who have become mothers because they married. So mother's not really defined by one role. A lot of us find ourselves in many different roles. And we sat down and did some research and came up with a long list. We're just going to give a few of them. Yes. Well, a mother can be a nurse, cleaning service, a chef, a referee, a personal assistant, a teacher, a meal planner, a chauffeur, a birthday party organizer, and a life coach. What are some more? Uh, an organizer, a personal stylist, an entertainer, a budget manager, a sleep coach, <laughs> a rule enforcer, investigator, multitasker, a translator, a dental hygienist. Yeah. <laughs> and we can be a travel agent, run the laundry service, the transportation service, we're researchers, we're crisis negotiators, we're personal trainers, we're bargain hunters, we can be a lifeguard, a pet caretaker, and a memory maker. I like that one because I take lots of pictures. <laughs> Being a mom, you know, can be a stressful job because there's a lot of roles, and those are just a few that we mentioned. And you know what? It's 365 days a year. And usually with not a day off. Yeah. But let's look, Jeannie, at some stages of motherhood. Okay? Let's yeah. start off with uh, moms of young children. Okay. As I think back to being a mom and being pregnant for the first time, it was really an exciting time uh, to have your first child be born. That day, I would felt like queen for a day. Only lasted about a day. But... Uh, <laughs> Then that baby, you're just so excited to have that precious life. It's just such a miracle to look in their face. And then you start caring for them, and there's long nights, and there's feeding, and sometimes there's difficulty with that, and there's no sleep, right? Yeah. 
And uh, then they get a little older and they're toddlers and they get a little more independent. So there's a little bit more freedom. They're playing by themselves, sitting up. Um, then you, I was thinking you childproof the house, right? Your house oh, changes. Yeah. Like so everything's much. gone from the oh. tabletops, right? You do it because you're worried about your child's safety. You know, at that time, you're just wanting to keep them safe. Their first words, their first uh, steps, you know, are all so monumental and special. And the young children, how precious. I think back to my children and just how precious they were at all those ages as young children. Um, and realistically, sometimes because moms give so much attention to their children, that there can be an angst between the husband and wife because you don't have that time together like you normally did. And so, you know, that happens a lot too. I would say, and it's been said that this time is really physically exhausting for yeah, the most part, you yeah, know, I even agree. though it's still emotional, it's very physically. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a, a memory or a thought about your children when they were little? Yeah, I think the one that stands out the most was my daughter, Jessica, um, who is part of this church, Jessica Yell. Um, was a preemie. She arrived four and a half weeks early and um, there were a lot of things that she couldn't do and a lot of things we didn't understand about being a preemie. Um, even with the help of a doctor, you know, your doctor isn't living at your house. So here you are, first time mom. And, and I remember her being up every two hours, I mean, for weeks. And it went on much longer than it normally would because she was premature. So she slept great in the day, but at night it was an every two hour thing. And so it was a lot of physical stress because you're new to being a mom. And then on top of it, you have this understanding that your child... Um, has come early and there are some deficits that they're gonna eventually grow into, but they don't start off uh, right away with those. And um, so huge amount of focus. And I remember, so I'm a Star Trek fan. I remember, um, <laughs> I remember that every night we would put her down at seven o'clock and roughly at 7.15 or 7.30, my husband and I would sit together and we would watch Star Trek with Jean-Luc Picard. And it was an hour to just go away and like live in another place because the rest of the time I was full on um, being a mom of a preemie. So yeah. yeah, that was so important for me. And I really encourage young moms. You just need that hour away even just to go to the grocery store by yourself and just have quiet. So that really can recharge you. Well, another time besides moms of young children, a stage is moms of teens. Then we go into that teen, that adolescence, that time where there are young children or older children now are trying to exercise their independence. Mm -hmm. There can be a real pulling away um, from our advice, from our affections, you know, not wanting to get all those hugs and be cuddled and hugged like they once did. Um, Lots of times it's a time where they act out in rebellion, which creates a lot of pain during that stage. Um, unlike the previous stage of physically exhausting, this time of the teens and adolescents can really be an emotionally uh, touching time and yeah. where we really need to lean into God. But in spite of all this, um, that teens bring with that age, it's a beautiful thing to parent with connection versus control. And I can say I wish I would have done that a lot more. Um, instead of trying to control, you know, as a mom, we are trying to control. 
because it, I believe it comes out of a, a sincere heart of wanting to have the best for your children, wanting to uh, have them make the right choices and, and, and just wanting to see them meet, meet, reach their potential. Um, but in the meantime, it can create even more angst, but that connection is so important. And as we connect with them, and as we try to understand them more and what they're going through, you know, it's a time to reflect and say, hey, I remember going through that too when I was a teen. You know, be a self-revealer and say, yeah, me too. I think this helps them to keep their hearts open during that time. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I have an example with my son that was uh, just a rough period. He, he was finishing up ninth grade and we were realizing that we were just putting our thumb down on him to get him to do every assignment, every piece of homework. He, he just wasn't interested. He wasn't committed. And he had kind of moved into that monosyllabic stage, you know, how are you doing? Good. How was school? Good. Um, and it was just such a frustrating period. And we knew he was such a bright kid. And it just seemed like such a waste. And we were frustrated as to what to do about it. And Bob and I sat down and we said, you know what? We're making this worse by trying to get him to do every assignment and get him to do all his homework and study for his exams. And you know what? This is his education. This isn't ours. So we sat him down and we said to him, you know what, we love you. Whether you end up as a lifelong career working at McDonald's or whether you end up with a career in computer science or what, you know, that was his interest area, it's really up to you. And we're gonna love you either way. And we're tired of fighting you. If you wanna share with us how you're doing in school, we're really happy to listen. And if you don't wanna talk about it at all, we're gonna stop asking you. So we watched his grades go down the following year from he was, I think, at a 2.9 to like a 2.1. I mean, it was hard to watch. And we got his grades, because you still get them in high school. And, um, and then there was a transition where as he began 11th grade um, in the summer between, we took him on a tour of a, of a local university and he got the whole information, arise starting GPA requirement and he realized that he really had to work. And on his own, he started to really own his classes and his grades. And he managed to turn it around where in the, at the end of his um, junior year, he had a 4.0. And so he ended up with his senior year graduating with a 3.3. And he got to own that. He got to have that as a testimony when he talked to colleges. And it really helped him wow. to get into several schools. And I'm sure that was hard to release that and let him do that. I wish I would have done a lot more of that. You know, you, it's called consequences, right? Yeah. As moms, we want to save them a lot, but yeah. we're not their savior. And so that's something that yeah. was hard for me to do. I would rescue, rescue, save, make it all good. Do it for them instead yeah. of making them do it themselves. And, a lot, and of that's em not good. a lot of emotional pain for parents, yeah. really. I mean, I think it's a hard period. Yeah. I think if you can... Own into some of these concepts, you, those who have younger children, boy, it can really make it a lot easier. 
and fruitful. Well, the last stage, the moms of adult children. You know, one thing is a fact, you never stop being a parent, okay? It doesn't stop, does it, Jeannie? No, not at all. We both are parents of adult (laughs) children, but we don't stop having a mother's heart for them and being concerned for them. yeah. More than ever, we're praying for them right now. Absolutely. We know that's the best thing, and sometimes the only thing we can do, right? Right. But right. we never stop being parents. But our role changes. Instead of from child to a parent, we're having a relationship adult to adult, which is also sometimes a challenge yeah. to think that mindset. And a lot of times our children in this, in this stage when they're adults, they kind of look back at our parenting and they realize that, you know, mom and dad, you made some mistakes. Um, and so it creates some angst in them and they really need to come back and tell us about that and, and share their hearts. And at that time, we really need to, as parents, just humble ourselves, be open and listen to their hearts and admit everything that they're saying that is true and where we blew it and give them a chance to vent in a healthy way. There's a healthy way to do that. Yeah. But I think that can bring healing and uh, make even closer, you know, and set you up for a great adult-to-adult relationship. Yeah. Jeannie, there's something I I read and learned from this gal who spoke, and her name was Jeannie, too, so lots of wise, (laughs) wonderful genies out there. But this Jeannie uh, Cunnan, if I'm saying her name right, she wrote a book called Moms Set Free. And she says the number one pressure that moms face is that God... They feel that God is relying on them, Mm. like God's relying on me as a mom to get it all right. Yes. I've got to get it all right. God's entrusted these children to me. Um, He's relying on me, and I better not mess up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Isn't that true? Do you feel that? Certainly did when, when they were young, yeah. But what does it create in us? It creates a real heaviness and a burden that we've got this, you know, we're carrying this weight on us to Mm -hmm. make it all right. And you know what? It steals our joy Mm -hmm. and it robs us of just the joy of parenting, of mothering and the wonder even of it, you know, instead of sitting back and taking the backseat a little bit, you know, we're feeling like we've got to make this happen. We've got to fix them. We've got to make it right. So she says, instead of God relying on me, mothering is about me relying on God to get it all right, to be sovereign because he is, to be who he says he is in spite of my mistakes. Yeah. And she goes on to say, you know, we are significant in our children's life. We can't dismiss that, right? We are. Uh, What we say and what we do makes a huge difference. Our words, you know, can either hurt or heal. Uh, Our words can either tear down or build up, you know. So it's really important. We are significant as parents in our children's lives. But she said this was life-changing for her parenting. She said, I am significant as a mother, but God is sovereign. And I thought, wow, that's true. Because we can trust him with the kids he's given us because he knows what he's doing. And I don't need to play his role. Yeah, that's And beautiful. a few years back, we did a book study with the ladies here at Mosaic called Surrender Your Junior God Badge. And boy, that lady <laughs> Great title. tagged us all, right? Because that's what we need to do is surrender our junior God Badge. Yeah. Jeannie, with this surrendering and this way, you know, when we do that, God is changing us. Mm-hmm. Um, we can view the problems, like mm-hmm. we're talking about, that come about in motherhood mm-hmm. um, through Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to look at Romans 5, 
3 and 4. And we want to read that for you. It says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Mm -hmm. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confidence and hope. Yeah. Yeah. Jeannie, expound on that. I know you love God's word. Tell us a little <laughs> bit more about some of I, those I do. So uh, this was a passage that I had studied recently. Um, and so the version I'm using uh, um, is a little different, but I'll connect all the words. So one of the things I learned is that the word rejoice is used in most of the versions. Um, but the actual word that's most accurate is boast. So if you think about this idea, we boast when we run into problems or we boast in our sufferings, like what? Um, and I think boast, they're talking about boasting in God. So we're saying that when we're, we're boasting because we have the vantage point, we're operating from the base of where God is because we're his children. And from that we can deal successfully with any matter. So I love that, that picture. You know, if you... So I picture a little lion cub, and behind him is this huge lion. It's that vantage point where I know that as I step out, I have God behind me, the creator of the universe, the one who provides all provision. So when we boast, when we use that word, I love that visual of the little baby lion cub and this huge uh, lion behind him. And then I kind of studied the, the problems and trials. So the word that, that you find in some of the other versions and in my version is sufferings. And suffering means it's a pressure and it's a constricting pressure that rubs two things together. And we can think of ourselves in relationship, sometimes rubbing together. But it also means a narrow place where we're cornered, where we feel restricted, where there's also a feeling of no escape. And I think one of the ones that I connect with the most for that is in a death. When we experience the death of someone we care about, there's no escaping that. We wake up the second day, they're still dead. And we're dealing with that pain. So the suffering is, um, it runs the breadth of, from everything such as, you know, two people who must be together and are just rubbing each other wrong all the way to, um, to the death of a loved one. And then help us. So that's kind of the next part. You know, problems and trials help us to create endurance. Well, the word help us is really just coming from the word produces. So it's suffering that produces endurance. And I looked up the word produce because I thought that's an interesting choice of words to, to pick produce. And it's the result of labor. So it's not just us sitting back and saying, okay, well, you know, this, this suffering is going to somehow create endurance. No, it's us being involved in the process. Labor is a good word for moms. Yes, exactly. Um, so it's the laboring, the working out. And 
And for, for me, something that's been kind of ringing true, especially during this period that we're in right now, is um, I think when we move from, Lord, why is this happening to me? When we move from that to, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? I think we're able to move to that producing word. Um, and that produces endurance. And again, I looked up endurance. Endurance is what's left behind. It's the residue left behind after suffering. So I think of it a little bit. I, I kind of immediately came to mind about the dross and the silver or any metal. You know, what falls off in the fire, in the suffering is the, the dross, and what's left is something that's really strong. And, and that reminds me of endurance. And then the last part is that endurance produces character. And character, I love the description, character is the result of a trial. It's tried, it's approved, it's proven. So that's the, the meaning of character. Awesome, awesome. So as we're allowing God to let those trials change us and actually make us into more like him, it's neat at the end it says that character brings hope, right? right? right, right. So we're not just left as, okay, we went through this, now we're changed, now we're, but we have hope, right? And so we want to bring us to another scripture. I know this is a favorite scripture of yours and a, and a lot of ours is Romans 8, 28 and 29 which says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Jeannie, again, would you expound a little bit on that verse? Yeah, that has absolutely is my favorite scripture and it's taken on so many um, different meanings over time. I love that there's this promise of hope, that there's redemption in all of it. Um, I think that's so beautiful, that the hardship and suffering isn't just there, and then we die and we go to heaven. That he actually uses what's happening in our lives every day um, to, to redeem. He redeems it all. Um, he goes beyond just saying, I'm taking all things and redeeming them, he's actually, um, he's redeeming it for good. So I think of all the things, you know, hardship and suffering. So you've got abusive upbringing, you've got divorce, depression, struggles with addiction, untimely death of parents or children, and he redeems all of it for good. But then we kind of need to look at what does good mean? You know, because good for us is... I want a happy ending. Right. You know, I want everything to work out. And that doesn't always happen. But I think instead, God defines good as us drawing closer to him, as us being more connected to him, being in relationship with him, choosing him, seeking him. Um, another one of my favorite scriptures is Revelations 3.20, which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And I love that passage because he doesn't say, you know, when you open the door, you need to have your act together. You need to be all fixed up. Instead, he just says, just open the door. I'm not asking you to be fixed up. I'm okay with you being in your mess. Just open the door and let me in. And then he does one of the most intimate things, which um, I've learned a while back, what a meal means. See, a meal for us is sitting down and eating, and it's fun, but a meal often for that time period was covenantal. It was, it was the confirming of a relationship that was formed. It was done over food, over bread and wine and and you know, all the food that they would eat at that time. So it was covenantal. So why would God begin this transformation here on earth? You know, I think sometimes, well, why wouldn't he just wave his hand when we get up to heaven and just clear us of all the problems that we've had and all the history and just redeem it then? I mean, why does he do it while we're here? Why are we in this process of transformation And it's so we can be a brighter light to others. There's a purpose to this that's beyond us. We're called to be different. We're called to be peace carriers, peacemakers. A favorite way that we've heard this described um, is instead of being the thermometer where you're kind of taking the temperature in the room, instead, be the thermostat. Set the temperature. Bring love and bring peace. I love that. I love that. Lots of times we're gauging the temperature, gauging other people, but let's bring what we have, what God has done in us. So as God's transforming us and making us more like him, it's for a purpose, right? And so I say, Jeannie, it sounds like we're moms on mission. Okay. When we think of that word mission, missionary, you know, we have certain images in our minds. And I know you have a heart of a missionary. You've been to uh, Africa, Ethiopia, um, Tanzania, and Haiti, right? So let's talk a little bit about if we have that purpose, what's our purpose? Obviously, we're moms, we have children, we have a purpose to raise them, to train them up in the Lord. But it even goes beyond that too, right? Um, So what does it look like to be missional? Okay, we've talked about that. Rick's talked about we need to be missional-minded. So... Does it mean we pack our bags? We could, it could. But what does it mean maybe for the day-to-day moms to be missional as they're in motherhood? Yeah, so um, it was interesting. Mimi and I sat down and we kind of started to talk about this and then we went and looked up definitions and I think this one definition we came across with a few words added in was really the best. It means we live intentionally with a missionary mindset, keeping our eyes wide open for opportunity to demonstrate love and mercy to those within our church, within our community, and outside. And we're not just waiting for an organized activity called mission. Okay. But to be honest, Jeannie, I know I can hear women saying, and I've said it myself and have felt it myself, that I got enough on my plate, you know? 
that how can I add one more thing as a mom to do ministry? Aren't I just doing ministry in my home? Isn't that enough? You know, how, how can I do one more thing? So I, I don't think it's adding another thing to your plate. I think it's a way of seeing life as engaged with the mission of God and God in the world. Um, so, so integrating like, both. Yeah, integrating both. Just having it be the way you walk around, a lifestyle of mission. Okay. And I want to share a few stories. Um, one is a really awesome story that happened with my husband, and it had to do with part of his commute. He had gone in very early to work. We live in Warrington, Virginia, which is the outskirts of suburban Virginia. And um, on his way home, which was actually at that time, he had gone in for just a few hours. He was coming home at about 7.30 in the morning, and he felt like he heard the Lord say to him, I want you to stop at CVS, and there's a woman there with dark brown hair and a blue shirt. And he kind of did a double check, like, Lord, uh, okay, this is what I think I heard. Dark brown hair, blue shirt, yep. CVS, not giant, or, you know, <laughs> CVS. In Gainesville or Warrington, Gainesville. I mean, he got that kind of a detail. So he stops, and at 7.45 in the morning, she, there's a woman standing there with the keys, and she's opening up the doors. And she says to him, oh, we're not open yet. If you wait a few minutes, though, I'll open up the doors. And he said, no, no, I'm actually here to see you. And he shares with her what the Lord has showed him. And she falls into his arms, bursting in tears. Oh, my goodness. And it was just that moment of knowing God hadn't given Bob anything to say to her. It was just Bob showing up with that message from the Lord. And it made me think of Jehovah Elroy, the God who sees me. You know, she came right to that place of, wow, he sees me. He understands what's going on. And she shared with Bob what was going on in her life. And she was having a really, really hard time. And so Bob showing up there just to give her that hug from the Lord was really um, an encouragement for her. Wow. Um, so, you know, there, so yeah, he's, he stepped out of his way. He had to stop his car. He had to go over and talk to her. But um, just a few minutes worth of time there made all the difference for her life. Um, another example I want to give is um, Jessica, Bob, and I were out taking a walk our neighborhood over here in Lynchburg, um, and we realized as we're walking around that there are a variety of homes. I mean, there are homes of people who are probably pretty well off, and then there were homes of people who probably are not so well off, and you see them sitting out front, and, and you don't know where they are, if they have faith or not, and that's okay, but we talked about the idea that, you know, we love to go out and walk, and we're hoping to move here, by the way. Um, and our desire is to walk the neighborhood and just do what's called a prayer walk, which is just pray that God would um, break through the homes, that God would soften the ground, 
that he would make it available to us. And then as we're, we've walked around long enough and people kind of recognize us, so we're saying hello and they've seen us a lot, um, to start asking people if there's anything we can pray for them. Um, and just really um, start being connected to our neighbors as the light of Jesus. So what we're saying is letting God use you where you're at. Yeah. And as a mom, it doesn't mean packing your bags. Maybe later on it will. But using God where you're at. Yeah. In your circumstances, in your situations. Um, some other examples I can think of is, you know, like a mom. You have young kids. You're out on a mom's day out. The mothers you're around, you know, that you're affecting, that you could talk to. What about at sporting events? Uh, where you're bringing your children and you're meeting lots of people. You know, is there opportunities that God can use you as a mom right there? You're there anyway. School activities. Um, if you're a working mom, you know, obviously with your coworkers, you have a, a wide range to share God's love. Um, even women's Bible studies. Lots of times we think of, oh, we just want to invite our our believer friends, but why not invite your neighbor next door? You know, so we can start integrating things that that don't mean that I don't have time for this, but it's just part of your lifestyle, of living that missional lifestyle. Um, you know, and, and I know I have a desire to become bolder, and just even during this time of the virus, I remember one time at Kroger recently, it was like, we were having church in there, there was like four opportunities that people said something, and I commented on it, and then this one young gal that I had known for a long time, it, it just, I was bold and said, honey, do you know Jesus? And, and she said, surprisingly, yes, I do. And she says, but I haven't uh, been living for him for a while. And I was able just to say, you know, but God's grace is there for you. So it was so cool. In the grocery store, while I'm just getting Wonderful. some groceries, God could use me as a mom, me as a woman of God, me just saying, hey, I'm available. You know, that's it. I'm available. And you know, you're looking for the opportunities. You're not fearful. And you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Probably nothing, you know? Just, but you can say it, and so many times it does bring such fruit. Um, you know, so they're not really like interruptions in our life, right? They're just, they're just part of our life, integrating that in our life, right? But sometimes they are interruptions, right? Sometimes they can be, they can be interruptions. I want to give an example, um, one of my favorite examples of where I kind of feel like it's an interruption, but I think God is in the interruptions. Right. I think that's what's so special about it. Um, it's from Matthew, it's uh, chapter 8, 1 to 3. When he, being Jesus, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. So we read that and we go, wow, that's such a neat thing that Jesus did. But we're forgetting that beginning in chapter 5 through 7, three chapters, he was doing the Sermon on the Mount. So Three chapters for us is one thing, but we forget that there's a timeline with that. He might have been standing there all day. He was probably hungry. He was probably thirsty. And he had been standing and preaching. And, you know, we're doing this talk, and we're going to get down, and we're going to go, wow, 
okay, it's so nice to take a break. We're going to go home. We're going to eat. And we've just done 45 minutes. Jesus was up there for hours. So he's coming down. And I'm just imagining he's focused on some basic needs like, oh, I would really enjoy having a sip of water. And I'd really enjoy having some bread to eat and, and taking a break. And what does he encounter? He encounters a leper who says, oh, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So that means he has to stop. That's like an interruption, you know, from, from his plan. Um, and he stops. And I just love that that he stops. And I feel like every time when I read about Jesus, he's on his way somewhere and he's always stopping and he's always taking the interruption. That's true. That's true. And sometimes it's not convenient, you know? Sometimes it may just be at the store and it happens easily. Yeah. But there are times when something happens and you have to go, yeah, I need to stop everything I'm doing right now because it's more important. Do you and that an happened to me. Yeah. A couple uh, years ago, a young gal came to my house to drop some things off, and um, I knew something was kind of wrong, and she was pregnant, and she was on her way to the doctors, and she said, I'm not sure if I'm not having a miscarriage or not. And it happened to be the day of the gathering, where it's usually a very busy day for me preparing and getting ready for uh, meeting with our women, our women's ministry that night. And anyway, she dropped some stuff off, and I I asked her about it, talked a little bit about her, and just as she's leaving the door, I'm like, I can't let her go, but say, hey, do you want me to go with you? Her husband wasn't able to be there with her that day, and it just came out, and, but she said, no, I think I'm all right, and so she left, and then I thought, oh, wow, if I had to go, because actually she was going to be traveling a half hour away, so it would have been an hour traveling, being at a doctor's hours, I may not get back till moments, minutes before, you know, the meeting that night. So I thought, okay, Lord, but I did the right thing because I, I knew that was the right thing. Well, five minutes later, she knocks back on my door and she says, you know what? I think I want you to go with me. And I said, give me five minutes. Let me throw some food in and grab my stuff. And I went and it was such a, you know, it was the right thing to do and it was my heart for her. And so I'm like, thank God I didn't say, no, I got to do this meeting. You know, the meeting can take care of itself. The ladies, you know, it'll work itself out. But God had that moment for me to be there for her. And it was a blessing to her for me to be there. But it was also a blessing for me to be able to let God use me. And as a 20-something and a mom, you know, that's, it was my heart just to mother her and to be there for her. So yeah, that's a beautiful example. Be aware of God's, what he puts in your path. And don't be too quick to dismiss it. Um, I know, though, a lot of people will say, well, but I'm just, you know, I'm hurting myself. I've been going through a lot of pain. I'm still not healed. I'm not over it. I'm still dealing with stuff, whether it be children, even a marriage, things like that as a woman. Um, and yes, there are those crisis times where you need ministry. You need somebody to call upon and, and to minister to you. But a lot of times, we're really, a lot of us are all in the midst of our healing, in the midst of pain, and it's a process. It's a journey that takes a while, years sometimes. Um, but God uses us in the midst of that, right? We don't have to be all fixed. He's not waiting for us. He used lots of people. He uses me. He uses you. And we're not there. We'll never be there altogether. Uh, and God, you know what? Sometimes he uses us best in our broken place when we're not all fixed. Because we really can relate to people, that connection. 
because we're all, we all can relate in one way or another to each other and the trials we go through. Yeah. And he uses that as a broken way of ministering to us and growing us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I really believe that. You know, I think a great example of that, sometimes we elevate the disciples to a, to a place like they were superhuman. I mean, they just, they got to walk with God, but we forget where they came from and how they started. They were really a mix of ordinary men. Um, many of them had no knowledge of the first five books of the Bible called the Torah, um, the prophets or the writings, which are Psalms and Proverbs. Many of them weren't educated at all. Um, I'm a fan of the show called The Chosen. Does anybody watch Sorry. that? Beep your horns if you're familiar with it. <laughs> um, I just really think it does such a good job of showing the man the, the human aspect of Jesus and of the apostles. And I think about, you know, you've got Simon and Andrew who were clearly, you know, fishermen. They come from a life of understanding boats and nets and fish, but certainly not educated. And then you have Matthew, the tax collector. So not only do you have someone now who's educated joining them, but he's educated for the purpose of collecting tax from the Jews. So that's not only bad enough, but the way he earns his income is he actually collects more than the tax. So that affords him a nice home and a, a nice lifestyle. So there is this resentment built into um, who he is as he joins them. And I just think about the fact that, you know, this band of merry men was, was quite, um, quite a diverse group of men. But I want to take a look at Peter, because I think Peter's such a great example. You know, here's someone who's very bold, right? He's the one who says, I'll step out in the water, Lord. I, be I believe in that. And then he sinks. But he tried. Like, nobody else got out of the boat, right? He's the only one who gets out of the boat. And I think about he's, he's charging. You know, he's one of these, I'll take care of this. And he cuts off the servant's ears as Jesus is being arrested. But then on the flip side, he's the one who makes promises and doesn't keep them. And feels such a great sense of fear as Jesus is um, being um, asked questions of, that he denies Jesus three times. So you think of, of Peter as someone who's being transformed in his brokenness. Jesus, uh, Jesus, Peter is the one who speaks up at Pentecost. He speaks boldly. He's the one who's encouraging them to speak out and and. He ends up becoming one of the major evangelists of Jesus, and he writes two books of our Bible that are talking about standing firm in the faith. So you really see his transition, his transformation as, as a Christian. Yes, yes. And we see that throughout the whole Bible, that God uses imperfect people yes. to do his work. Well, Jeannie, as we close, ladies... Um, we're really building a mother's legacy. Yes. You know, when you beautiful. think of legacy, mm -hmm. you think of putting a stamp on your life. You think of something that goes on, something that you leave behind. 
You know, you're leaving a legacy for your children. You're leaving a legacy for the women you touch and the people you touch. Your life has purpose and meaning as a mother and as a woman. And we just want to encourage you in that. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful idea, the, um, the thought of legacy. And I think because of that legacy, we just want to leave you with this one thought. There are generations of Christians that are birthed out of a mother's heart. Mimi, do you want to close this in prayer? Yes. Did you want to add something else? Just that mother's heart, you know? There's nothing like a mother's heart, you know? It breaks. It's, It's sacrificial. It goes the extra mile. It's willing to take sometimes a hit, you know, when you don't deserve it. So, but you know what I was thinking? It's part of God's heart. Because God's heart, he created us, and he created that mother's heart in us. And I think about his heart, and his heart is even so much greater. So that's why we can trust, and we can turn our children over to him. So ladies, as we end today, I just want to pray for you. And I want us just to, um, you know, whatever stage of motherhood we're in, whether you're a mom expecting her baby, like you are, Jessica, Um, whether you're a mom with a baby, a toddler, a little child, and you know, you're pretty exhausted and you're running on E, Uh, whether you're a mom of a teen and there's some angst and you're not sure what to do, whether you're a mom of an adult child um, who's making decisions that you didn't think they would, if you're a a mother of a prodigal, if you're um, just a mom in any of those forms, also experiencing joy with the children he's giving you, you know, when we were young, we, a lot of us dedicated our children to the Lord. But you know what? We need to dedicate our children daily to the Lord. Um, and I think of that as surrendering our children. And you know what's so beautiful about surrendering? It's, it's not giving up. You know, lots of times we think, all right, I surrender, I give up. But really what surrender is, is giving over. Just like Abraham gave over Isaac, he trusted the God in whom he knew that his son, that he was willing to do that in own obedience he gave over. So ladies, would you just bow your heads and bow your eyes and as we pray, but just lift your hands up, um, just in a surrender posture. And let's just dedicate our children this day, Mother's Day, a special day. Let's just dedicate our children back to the Lord. Join me as we pray. Father, we just... Give you our children, Lord, as our hands are cupped, Lord, as we held them for the first time in our hands, Lord, in our arms, God. And as Abraham lifted Isaac up, Lord, on that altar, God, we lift our children back to you, Lord. We surrender them back to you, God. Lord, because they really never were ours. They were a gift, Lord, that you've given us, that, yes, you've entrusted to us, God. And, Lord, we're significant in their lives. But, Lord, you're sovereign, You're the God that we can trust, Lord. And even though we may not see before our eyes what we want to see, we don't trust in what we see. We trust in who you are. And you are worthy and you are trustworthy and you are faithful and true. And you know what? You're our father because we're your daughter. And so, Lord, we willingly give our children back to you, God. So whatever place they're in, Father, we can trust that you're going to take care of them. 
you're going to lead them. You're going to work in their heart, Lord. And that our prayers, moms that pray, grandmothers that pray day after day and lift, that you're hearing our prayers, Lord, and that you're answering them, Father, and we can trust you to take care of them, God. Thank you that we are significant, Lord. You make us feel valued, but you're sovereign. And so, Lord, we don't have to carry that burden. We're not the yoke bearer. You are. We're just helping you, God. As moms, we're helping you along, but you're carrying the weight of it, God. So I just pray, Lord, moms, those hearts are heavy with all kinds of situations that I'm aware of, Lord. God, we know that you can lift that and you can fill us with joy in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of our suffering. You can bring joy, Lord. And we thank you for the joy and the privilege of mothering God and to be able to do this, Lord. And so, Lord, we just pray that whatever stage we're in, whether in the, we're in the beginning of creating a legacy in the middle or if we're at the end, God, that you will just create that beautiful legacy of motherhood that reflected the heart of God in us and through us to our children and to everyone we meet, God. Bless these beautiful women, Lord, today. Let them be filled with your love and your joy. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen and amen. Love you, women. Wow, let's give it up for these ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Great job, guys. Great job. Awesome. We need to do this again soon, soon, soon. <laughs> Praise God.